Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the worship that we've experienced in this hour, in the early hour as well. Father, we've been reminded as we've worshiped not only what you've done for us, but who you are. And so, Lord, we come before you and we just bow before you. And really, God, what, what more could we say today to capture the sentiment that has um, been brought forth in our life than the words we've just sung? Thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you've done, for the opportunity to worship you in this place in a way that we know you're here present with us. You are in our midst seeking divine appointments with each person that you've drawn to this place in this hour, wanting to speak to our hearts. Help us to have receptive minds and open hearts to that which you would share with us today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do what you alone can do, and that is to make application of your word, quicken it in our hearts, make it come alive in our lives that as we leave this place, in what is really a pretty short period of time and move forward into the coming week that we'll do so as the people you would have us to be. Father, we would ask you today to forgive us for the times that we have fallen short this week of being who we know we should be and doing the things we should do. But Father, how grateful we are that your grace never leaves us at that place, but that you call us forward to walk with you. And so, Father, we pray that you would Give guidance to us now as we continue in this spirit of worship. Speak to our hearts. Give us obedient wills to follow where you lead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I once heard a preaching professor say that the best stories for use in a sermon are not the stories you find, but rather the stories that find you. One such story found us many years ago. In a time long ago, we found ourselves in a worship service. It was an evening worship service. And our pastor was baptizing a man who forgot to share with him what came to be a pretty important piece of information. He was afraid of water. Now, suffice it to say, this was a really uncomfortable moment for the man, for our pastor, and for the congregation. Two sisters were to sing a duet immediately after the baptism. Now, it was not with a tape or even a CD. Uh, It wasn't with guitar or even a keyboard. In those days, it was organ or piano. (laughs) And so our organist had worked with these two sisters to help them be prepared for their music. But because of the circumstances that had just unfolded, I mean, everybody was just a little discombobulated, you know. And so our organist was segueing from music she had played underneath the baptism to the first notes of the song they were to sing, but they weren't quite with her yet, on the front row still. And so she did this. 
<clears throat> and kept playing. And then a little louder, she went, <clears throat> and the girls finally realized, we're up. And so they came to the platform, each took a mic, and without any word of introduction, they began to sing these words. When I think I'm going under, part the waters, Lord. <laughs> that is a true story. And as brief as it was in my retelling of it, I have not embellished a moment. That's actually the way it unfolded, the way it happened. Disconcerting as that moment was for all, there is a parable for every one of us in that event if we will consider this question. When is the last time you felt like you were about to go under? <clears throat> Maybe last year? Last month? Perhaps last week? Could it have been yesterday? Might it be this morning? Listen to me. Everybody's been there. Everybody's been there. Everyone has faced that. Grieving the loss of a loved one will place you there. I know something about that, and so do you. Unresolved anger will put you there. I've experienced that. You have too. And most of all, sin leaves every one of us there, knowing what it means to think we're going under, imprisoned by acts we've committed or attitudes we've condoned. So it's really no surprise, if you think about it, that when Jesus began his ministry, he had something to say to people about to go under, whether they were aware of it or not, whether they knew it or not. Reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21, we hear that Jesus had just returned from Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and as such, news about him had spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and he handed it to the attendant and he sat down. And scripture tells us he had in that moment what every preacher, whatever music person, whatever special we're singing, what we dream of. He had everybody's attention. Everybody's attention, quiet, silent, fixed upon him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture 
is fulfilled in your hearing. Did you hear that last verse? He began, he began by saying to them, I have a question for you. Why begin here? Why begin there? Jesus knew that apart from people coming to an understanding of the reason for his coming, people would remain imprisoned by grief without any hope, locked up by anger, unable to cope, sentenced by sin's unbreakable yoke. Freedom never comes to people who just think, might be, maybe, I'm about to go under. Freedom comes to those who know, listen to me, they already have gone under. And here's the reason why. Why cry out for deliverance unless you know you're captive? Why cry out for deliverance? Why cry out for freedom unless you know you're a prisoner? Jesus found no difference between they who lived then and we who live now. The Bible says he came proclaiming good news, not just to them, to those who listened to him on that Sabbath day, but he is proclaiming that same good news to those of us who have gathered in worship here this morning. And since he came to proclaim good news, we must believe what he has proclaimed if we're to be set free. Two thoughts I want you to see. They're brief. This morning from Luke chapter 4, both of which are found in the exact same verse, verse 18, that speak to the freedom we receive when we believe the good news about Jesus. Here's the first. We are set free when we believe what Jesus proclaimed about the good news that releases us from something that oppresses us. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and to release the oppressed. If we were to go back to the first part of chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Scripture says, Jesus, full of the Spirit, went out into the wilderness, and there he was tempted. Afterwards, verse 14 says, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And now in verse 18, Jesus acknowledges both the Spirit's fullness and power by saying the fullness and the power, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Similar statements, all three, except for this nuance. In verse 18, there is a word, because... That's that kind of word that stands like a door in a frame that is hinged so it swings both ways. We look back to what has been said and we look forward to what is about to be said. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners 
and to release the oppressed. This has been a very interesting year plus several months, hasn't it? Our world has been devastated by a pandemic unmatched in our lifetime and unparalleled in its reach. Our country has been demoralized by years of buried racial tension that our country has left unaddressed. Our divisions remain deep, seemingly irreconcilable because they seem to be unrepairable. Now, most often, I think, perhaps you would agree, substantial problems seem to resist reduction down to a single word. But perhaps here is a word that would fit quite nicely this morning. Oppression. Oppression. People who feel oppressed feel overwhelmed. And people who feel overwhelmed feel overcome. And the reason why oppressed, overwhelmed people feel themselves overcome is that they're overpowered. They're overpowered. Overpowered by circumstances they faced, overpowered by choices that they made, overpowered by human nature that is prone to sin. The old hymn writer really got it right. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Listen to me. To be human is to know what it means to be oppressed, overwhelmed, overcome, and overpowered. Whether by problems like a pandemic, the riddle of racism, the difficulty of division, or more personal predicaments of our own making. Here, however, is good news for us today. Jesus proclaimed freedom for the prisoners so that through him we might be released from what oppresses us. I love how the Bible describes the church when I think it is, well, it's a description of when we are at our absolute best. God sets the lonely in families. That's what we are today, right? And we've often sung the song, I'm so glad to be part of the family of God. We're a family, a community. God sets the lonely in families. And he leads out the prisoners with singing, with joy. The word of the Lord, Psalm 68, 6. What a wonderful picture of the church. Isolated by the loneliness of sin's oppression, joined together by our faith in Christ who releases the prisoners so we collectively praise him knowing he has led us out. Here at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus found people just exactly like he still finds us today. There is no we or they. There is no them out there versus us in here. 
There's not those who lived then versus those who live now. Jesus came to proclaim good news to everybody, to all of us. And when we believe what he proclaimed, we find ourselves being released from what oppresses us. This is the first thought that we find in the latter part of verse 18. Here is the second thought we find in the first part of that same verse. When we believe what Jesus proclaimed, the good news about Jesus tells us there is something recovered within us that we had lost. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Listen. Recovery of sight for the blind. Years ago, in the early 1960s, my father-in-law, my late father-in-law, worked multiple jobs to pay off the cost of two eye surgeries that my now wife, Isla, underwent when she was six and seven years old. The surgeries were successful, but they left her legally blind in one eye ever since. She sees very little out of that eye, almost no peripheral vision. That's one kind of blindness. I found another the week before Easter as I prepared to pay for some groceries where we live. The woman just in front of me said to the cashier as she was checking out, she said, have a happy Easter. And that caught my attention. I thought, oh, that's so great. She sounds so upbeat and pleasant. And what a good word for us as we find our way through Holy Week. Well, that caught my attention, but less so than the response from the cashier that followed. Easter, she said, is just another day on the calendar for me. People learn to live with some kinds of blindness. Indeed, such suffering has been known to produce a depth of character that blesses the world. I've often thought, maybe Fanny Crosby would have written hymns like Blessed Assurance. We sang that last week, Rod, didn't we? Blessed Assurance. To God be the glory. Rescue the perishing. Maybe she would have written those songs anyway. But I think not. She saw spiritual truths that many never see. There remains, however, an unseen spiritual blindness that is deadly to the soul. And Jesus knew that when he spoke on that Sabbath day, and he still knows it today on this Sunday morning. So whenever a person puts his or her faith in him and commits her or his life to follow him, this is what you're going to see evidence of. You're going to see a person who is recovering from his or her spiritual blindness. And listen, for blind people who are recovering their sight, what words to believe, what sights to behold. As again, another old hymn writer 
caused us to sing, sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. Melissa mentioned in the introduction that uh, I grew up here. I did grow up in this church, not in this sanctuary. It was a different sanctuary in those days. I was born in 1954. I was brought into the nursery here when I was just a couple of weeks old. I learned about God's love sitting on Grandma Nichols' lap. Okay? This was my church home until I left for college in 1972 before coming back eight years later to serve in a position that Melissa has already referenced. While growing up, I often witnessed from the pew as a child and later from the choir loft as a teenager a family with 10 kids that every week without exception would arrive sometime after the service began. Now, our sanctuary had three sections of pews, not five, and it was rectangular rather than fan-shaped. But there was a center section and two aisles, and they would come down what would be this aisle, and of course, in a Baptist church, we fill up from the back forward, right? So when they got there late, they, there were no seats. They had to come down, okay? So they'd come about two-thirds of the way down, and they would find their way in, and of course, it did not matter what was going on. If the pastor just started the message, or if somebody was singing a special music, it didn't matter if somebody was reading scripture, all the heads just kind of went like this for just a moment, okay? This was a good family, a faithful family, some of whom were friends of mine because they were near my age, some the exact age, some a year older, and another one a year younger, friends of mine. Years later, when I became pastor at First Baptist Church in California, Missouri, uh, I had the occasion to play golf with Tom Nelson. And um, after we played, we went to lunch. Ramada Inn, I remember. <laughs> and I remember as I sat there, you know, kind of uh, waiting for our food to come, I said, you know, Tom, it's so interesting being in a senior pastoral position because, you know, often we'll have this kind of distractions in church, you know. I mean, maybe a baby starts to cry, and the parents always feel worse about that than I do. I mean, I'm glad they're there. That's the kind of noise a church wants to have, right? And so I, but I said, still, I said, do you remember the family that would always come? Oh, yeah. He remembered them. And I said, well, how did you deal with that? And he told me a story. He said, one day, Greg, when they were leaving, the mother was the last to leave. Her husband was already out. The 10 kids were being ushered. She was the last to leave. And he said, she said to me, Pastor, I'm so sorry that so often we are so late. But she said, with these 10 kids, by the time we get everybody cleaned up and loaded in the car, cars, and drive downtown, she said, it just, we just can't seem to get here on time. Well, if you knew Tom Nelson, Tom had impeccable timing when telling a story. And Tom was the kind of man that when he smiled, not only did he do so with his lips, but his eyes lit up. They were bright. 
And so I said to him, when he said that, I said, well, what did, what did you say to her? He smiled, paused, and he said, well, Greg, I took her by the hand, and I looked her in the eye, and I said, Geneva, I'm surprised you make it at all. Which, if you think about it, is the point of the story from Luke's gospel that finds us today. Imprisoned as you and I were and as blind as we all had become that we made it at all. But make it we do because of this good news. Jesus knew we were imprisoned by sin. He knew we were blind and couldn't see. So from the very beginning, not as an afterthought that came later, not as some idea that evolved over three years of a ministry on this earth, from the very start, before he came, as he came, as he came, he proclaimed, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And with that, the Bible tells us he took that scroll and closed it, handed it to the attendant, sat down, And everybody was quiet, fixated on him. And knowing he had their attention, the Bible says, he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. May the good news of this story that finds each of us be fulfilled in all of us to put our faith in him and believe good news. Jesus spoke to his listeners then. Good news, he still speaks to those who hear him today. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you and we're thankful today that from the very moment this worship service began, we sensed your presence, we experienced the reality of who you are through wonderful worship, a message to children, listening to instruments play, familiar songs. You've just been preparing our hearts for wanting to speak to us. And so, Father, we acknowledge today you have. Help us again by the power of the Holy Spirit who quickens the word within our lives to contemplate and consider how we might be obedient to what you've said to us to this day. That, Father, we might hear the good news that we've been released from that which has oppressed us, that our sight has been recovered so that we who are blind now see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.